Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening, this week of Thanksgiving, as we gather together to eat way too much turkey, watch football, and have arguments with our family members we haven't seen all year, I have decided to uh, start things off by discussing a... Uh, game that just kind of recently came to my attention, uh, appropriately enough right after we wrapped up on uh, Hellgate Trilogy, so the Weird West is still very much at the forefront of my mind, and we'll be getting back to it next week as well. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about something very unique and very awesome, and that is a Weird West game that is compatible with Dungeon Crawl Classics. This book is very hard to hold up in frame and not cover my microphone, just because it's gigantic. Anyway, not to bury the lead too much, uh, we are of course talking about Weird Frontiers by David Beatty, put out by Stiff Whisker Press. And uh, Dave is actually going to be on the show in December, uh, so I'm doing this in advance of his appearance on the show, just to familiarize everyone with... Uh, Weird Frontiers, and also, I mean, how could I not? At this point, uh, you know, we're, we've done so many episodes on DCC RPGs and RPGs that are compatible with Dungeon Crawl Classics, so, you know, why not give this thing the same treatment that I've given to Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics, if nothing else, to prepare you guys for what Dave and I are going to be talking about in December. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're talking about Weird Frontiers. And uh, along the way, just because I am very familiar with it and it is a, uh, you know, a system that I love and, and hold dearly, I will inevitably be comparing this in places to Deadlands. Um, even though, you know, Savage Worlds and DCC are worlds apart as far as systems, uh, different philosophies, different everything... I'll actually be talking about that also in December with Lou, uh, but that'll be on his show. Uh, so, yeah, I, there will be a little bit of comparison, but this is not, you know, Weird Frontiers versus Deadlands because it it's very hard to compare the two, and they, they take inspiration from two very different places. So uh, enough chit-chat. Let's move on over to the screen share so you guys can take a look at what we're talking about here. Alrighty, right off the bat, you know exactly what you're in for when you see this cover. I mean, just, just look at this. This is gorgeous. This is fantastic. 
You've got literal cowboy Thulu here on the cover. The Miskatonic Kid himself. Uh, for anyone who didn't watch Hellgate or watched Hellgate but couldn't see what was going on because of uh, green screen shenanigans, Bizarre Hands tried to pull this off uh, on the Halloween episode of Hellgate. He had his Cthulhu onesie on, and he put his cowboy hat on. Unfortunately, the Cthulhu onesie was green, so it made him look like he was coming through his green screen, and it the illusion didn't really work. But, you know, th this is uh, Cowboy Thulu, Cowthulu. Uh, my personal favorite name is the Miskatonic Kid. Just, it's a little more subtle. Might actually sound like something or someone you'd run into in the Wild West. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. And by the way, I don't think any of us actually knew this was a thing. When, uh, when Bizarre Hand showed up dressed like that. Uh, if I did, I would have called it out. But, you know, I, no one mentioned uh, Weird Frontiers when that happened, so there's that. Before we, you know, dig into this game, though, let's talk a little bit about kind of the background here. Uh, so this game originated on Kickstarter. Uh, I was not originally a backer. Uh, I, I did not jump on this Kickstarter because I didn't know about it. I, honestly, I, I didn't. I was not involved with the circle that connected uh, Dave Beatty and I at that point in, in 2019. I, I kind of was, but I really only knew Levi. So I completely missed out on this. I, you know, I didn't go to North Texas in 2019. Uh, you know, n none of that. I, I, I was not involved uh, to the degree that I am now with, with this crowd didn't even really know what Dungeon Crawl Classics was. But, uh, you know, this this thing actually began life as uh, Dark Trails, I believe was the original. Yes, Dark Trails RPG, and that's what the campaign's called. Uh, there was a little bit of a snafu with Chaosium, which you guys may or may not have heard about. Uh, they've got a supplement called Down Darker Trails. So, you know, Dark Trails, Down Darker Trails. To make a long story short, Dave ended up changing the name to Weird Frontiers. Uh, this was originally kickstarted back in 2019. Couple delays, uh, not the least of which was that little snafu with the name. And this eventually came out in, uh, you know, this year, 2021. Uh, so... I believe it went out to backers in February, and it's now generally available on uh, DriveThruRPG. And one last thing to make you aware of, this is a free copy that Dave sent me, uh, but I will say this is not a review. Uh, this is not a review because, again, this game has been out for a while. I have not played this game, uh, like at a table played this game, so I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable reviewing it. This is just an introduction to what is offered here in the world of Weird Frontiers. And, you know, my opinion will come out as we go through, but for the most part, that's, you know, this is just walking through the book and seeing what there is to see. Alrighty, so... 
Kicking things off, we have at the beginning of the book, and this is an interesting design choice that I really like, uh, we start with frequently referenced tables. Before we even get into the bulk of the text here and what all this stuff means, right at the beginning of the book, uh, you just have these are the tables that you're going to be looking for, for the most part. So... Up here, you've got the ability modifiers. I'll hold this still for you guys. Experience needed per level. Uh, this is pretty consistent across DCC games. Sample DCs. Examples of boons and hexes, which we'll uh, get into. Uh, combat modifiers for missile fire, attacker, defender statuses, and, and what that means for combat. Two-weapon table. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. And the firearms table. So these are all the uh, you know possible weapons that you get. And uh, something that's interesting here that we'll get into as far as the technology level of this game, you, you do have some steampunk stuff. But for the most part, because of the year that this game is set in, which I believe is like 1865 or 1866, right at the very end of the Civil War, a lot of your revolvers here, actually all the revolvers to start, are cap and ball revolvers, which means reloading them is a pain, as reflected by this reload time. Just for reference, as we uh, zoom in on the reload here, that three, let me make sure I'm highlighting the correct one. The three here, light pistol, uh, that is three rounds to reload one bullet. Because a round is ten seconds and you're dealing with a cap and ball revolver. So, we'll, we'll explain a little bit more of this as, as we go through. But that's at the beginning. You've got those reference tables, which we'll go back to as we get to those various things. So to start, you know, we've got the title page here. Uh, like I mentioned, it's written by David Beatty. Got a, uh, a plethora of contributing writers, people who helped out along the way. Uh, there are a few familiar names in here. Uh, John Hook is probably the most familiar to you guys who have been uh, observing the show for a while since he's he's been on before. As far as artists, um, Diogo is uh, somewhat familiar. He's done a lot of work with Levi, so I've talked about him and seen a lot of his art. Peter Mullen, uh, you guys have seen these episodes that I do on the DCC stuff. You've heard me talk about Peter Mullen. He's fantastic. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of guys here. And then of course, uh, you know, Joseph Goodman himself was actually involved in, uh, you know, working on this game. So, uh, this isn't an official Goodman Games product, but it's damn near close. The, this has the seal of approval. Uh, you know, they, they were very much involved in the construction of this particular game, um, so yeah, it's, it, this is legit and, you know, it's, it's completely compatible with DCC and MCC. 
So theoretically, if you run, want to run a game where a manimal, a wizard, and a gunslinger all meet up in some kind of weird uh, nether world, uh, you can certainly do so. That is an option that you have if you have all of those books. So yeah. Of course, the table of contents, and we'll skip forward a little bit. Uh, Joseph Goodman wrote the foreword for this. Nice, lovely art piece here. I love stuff like this. It looks like kind of a take on the James Franco uh, Buster Scruggs meme. And I think it's also a reference to Hang 'em High, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe Hang 'em High. There's some Western movie that the main the main character is framed by a noose in the poster. It might be Hang 'em High. I, I'm sure there are several, but you know, the, it's a great Western image there. A little bit of an introduction that I will read in the stylings of. Uh, Mr. Cheyenne Wright, howdy, stranger. Gossip at the campfire has it you planned to throw a saddle on that old flea bag and hit the trail, hoping to make a dent in the rising tide of darkness threatening the frontier. Well, it wouldn't be fair to send you on your way without some words of wisdom and basic survival. Rules for when you get thrown into the thick of it with your posse. So listen up. Welcome to the frontier. And from there, we get into our first chapter. So, uh, the explanation of how all of this kicks off. Uh, with all of these Weird West games, there is some kind of inciting incident. And usually that inciting incident coincides uh, with some kind of event involving the American Civil War. Because all of these kind of speculative history, Wild West games all involve the Civil War in some way. Pretty much every American steampunk uh, book, game, you know, piece of media involves an alternate ending or continuation of the Civil War. Uh, and, and that is just because, as uh, Sherry Priest said on a panel that she did with Jim Butcher years ago at Dragon Con that I, I got the pleasure of seeing, uh, the two things that advance technology more than anything else in the world are pornography and warfare. So the only way you get these uh, like steampunk Edison machines, these like steam-powered mechs and other kind of weird uh, steampunk devices that you see in, in that kind of fiction is to have some kind of war going on or some kind of industrial movement going on. And if they're, you know, weaponized, it's a war. So that's where a lot of that comes from. And, you know, the Civil War also sets the stage for the Wild West as we know it. If the Civil War had not gone the way it had gone, uh, the West as we know it would not have existed. And uh, definitely certain characters of the West would not have been as famous as, you know, they were. Billy the Kid uh, was a child of the Civil War. The James Gang, uh, they were heavily involved in the Civil War. 
uh, you know, everyone, everyone famous from the Wild West who was alive at the time had some kind of involvement in the Civil War. So that's where that comes from. And for anyone who is potentially watching or listening to this who's not American, I am re- referring to the American Civil War, the war between the states uh, from 1861 to 1865, um, North versus South. You, you've heard of it. Anyway, so. Weird Frontiers begins with an alternate ending to the Civil War in 1865. Nyarlathotep, a legendary elder god, seizes the opportunity to awaken his slumbering brothers and sisters and free them from dimensional exile with a living tome called the Necronomicon. The grimoires filled with forbidden lore, including the ancient rituals needed to bring about an event comparable to a biblical apocalypse. A cabal of cultists dedicated to the forgotten gods and entrusted with the tome head off into Mexico territory to bring about the end of all things. This week-long period of rituals would become known as the Seven Days of Night due to a lunar eclipse and its accompanying astral phenomena. So everything spins out of uh, the Seven Days of Night. Every character has some kind of supernatural aspect to them, this is kind of where this parts company from Deadlands, where in Deadlands you get to, you know, kind of decide which path you're going down as far as, you know, whether you're arcane or not arcane. Obviously, Clayton McTaggart was not. He's just a dude with guns. But in this game, everyone's got some kind of magical something or other, which we'll get into with, you know, each one. And so, you know, as this event is going on, during the series of rituals, the Twisted Cabal awoke long-dormant elder gods now painfully aware of their imprisonment. However, they would only partially succeed at opening the gates to set them free. Unbeknownst to the cult, a posse of Texas Rangers, led by a modern-day Knight Templar, were hot on their trail. The posse discovered the Cabal mid-ceremony and cut them down like dogs. The Necronomicon escaped destruction, as it always has, scattering itself so that each page flew on a summoned arcane wind to the darkest corners of the earth. So basically, uh, these guys only cracked the door. They didn't fully open the door. So, you know, Cthulhu, Azathoth, uh, you know, all of them, they're, they're still imprisoned. But other things have gotten through. And definitely other people are trying to uh, bring about the apocalypse, finish what was started on the seven days of night, and, uh, you know, continue this ritual. So there's all kinds of craziness that has happened, and, you know, the, the recent blood spilling of the Civil War made the ground all the more fertile for uh, eldritch hijinks. So here we are. Now, tools of the trade. Um, of course, you've got the Zochi dice. Uh, those are necessary. I've actually got the stuff on hand here. So Zochi dice, I've pulled them out this time. So if a specific dice is referenced, like a D30, I can just grab it. You also need your character sheets. Uh, it does recommend having a copy of DCC around. Uh, 
but again, this game stands on its own, so you don't necessarily need Dungeon Crawl Classics. It'll just kind of expand spell options, give you monsters, you know, stuff like that. In addition to that, you also need uh, cards, a, a deck of playing cards for each player. I have my Rush cards here, uh, just because, you know, I, I like rush and i like showing off the fact that i have rush playing cards one thing that i find interesting about this deck is the joker the joker is the fans and if you know rush fans you know exactly why that is i say that as a proud proud rush fan but for the purposes of theming and because they are bigger and therefore easier to see on stream anytime cards are referenced that's just me putting my Rush deck back together. I will be referencing the Deadlands Oversized Action deck by my good friend Cheyenne Wright. Because, like I said, it's, you know, giant cards. Easy to see what I've got here. Ace of Diamonds. And also, I mean, like, just, it's cowboy. It's cowboy themed. How could I not go with the, it's cowboy themed. So anyway, you'll need a deck of cards for each player that has firearms. Uh, we'll explain why in just a little bit. And you also need poker chips. It recommends black and white uh, for the boons and hexes. I've got a full set here. So I've got green, black, white, red, and blue. I also have some Deadlands ones. Uh, they're in my Deadlands box, though. Fun fact about these poker chips... These are the very same poker chips that were involved in the Deadlands incident. Eventually, I was able to recover all but one green poker chip. I'm still missing a green poker chip from the night of the Deadlands incident. Uh, so, yeah. that These are the poker chips that were thrown about uh, during the boredom of me trying to explain the alternate history of my Deadlands game. So there's that. These are an artifact. They are imbued with the power of my early DMing frustration. And that's what you need to play Weird Frontiers. So, of course, we start off here with the core mechanics. I'll zoom in here a little bit. Take a look at this art. Fantastic. I can't tell if this man is having a siesta or if he's dead. I think he's dead. But, yeah, he's dead. He, he has to be. Anyway, the, you know, it's, it's DCC. Your core mechanic is going to be a uh, D20 roll trying to meet a target number. You do have the dice chain, uh, so sometimes you go up, sometimes you go down. Um... If you roll equal to or higher to the DC or AC, you succeed. Otherwise, you fail. A roll of an unmodified one is an automatic failure. It's a fumble and brings some degree of disaster. Unmodified 20 is an automatic critical success. Additional game mechanics can modify these rolls, as mentioned. So yeah, that's what we're dealing with. There's a like one pager here called The Trapper's Tale. Gives you a little bit of flavor and background for what's going on here. Actually, it's a couple pager, but it's, you know, it's a short story, essentially. 
And then we get into character creation. Great little piece here with a guy getting his uh, his foot eaten by a, an alligator. So, like with all of these games, it's you know recommended that you roll 3d6 in order. You're dealing with the same ability scores here. Strength, agility, stamina, personality, intelligence, and luck. Um, again, you, you can roll and then assign, uh, but these games all recommend 3d6 in order. You know, that's, that's what you signed up for with DCC. 3d6 in order. Roll a d4 for your zero level character hit points. Uh, grit is a new ability added to Weird Frontiers, and it's the uh, physical and mental stress a character can withstand while facing things best left unseen. So this is kind of your sanity mechanic, in a way. So you add your stamina and your personality and divide by two, and that's how you get your grit level. And then... Uh, your luck ability, you roll that on the table. Uh, it gives you a, uh, a birth auger. So again, that is a D30 roll. You roll on the occupation chart. The occupation chart in this game is bonkers, by the way. And then you roll 1D4... And that is how much money you get to spend on uh, some gear and provisions to help you kind of kick things off. You've also got your trade good. And then you're, you're at zero level. Your D14 is your fumble die and your D6 is your hit, your critical hit die. And then once you get through the funnel... Uh, you get to the path system. These are your classes. Actually, sorry, the path system is the alignment system. Um, and all of your characters start with walk the line uh, because there's the path of the righteousness, the path of damnation, and then walking the line. So everyone's going to start neutral, and then you kind of go from there. Um you know, wh whichever way your character goes based on the way you're role-playing them. It's kind of a floating alignment system rather than your character is this, play him this way. Your character starts in the middle, uh, walking the line, and then the way you play them kind of determines how they go, and you get different bonuses based on the way your character's acting for different things. And then you get your uh, your saves. So stamina modifies fortitude, agility modifies reflex, and personality modifies willpower. Once you pick your class, you'll get additional bonuses to this from the class. And then this is going into the attributes. You have the ability modifier table here again. Uh, strength, again, going down the list here, whether or not you can crush a tomato... Intelligence, that is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Personality, that's being able to sell someone a fruit salad that has tomatoes in it. Stamina is how many crates of tomatoes you can carry up a flight of stairs uh, before you get winded. And then agility is how far you can throw a tomato. And luck 
is uh, whether or not you actually have to hear me give the tomato analogy again, I suppose. Or throwing a tomato and, uh, you know, hitting the thing that you're trying to hit that's way further away than your agility would allow you to. Luck is your X factor, basically. And this is demonstrated with your uh, your birth auger. So if you have a decent luck score and you roll your D30, like I'm going to do right now, and you get a 12, your birth auger is the Shadowkin. Uh, you apply your luck modifier to all corruption rolls. Yay! <laughs> you are especially susceptible to corruption as opposed to your friend who rolled a 20 with the Hawkeye and they apply their modifier to any range attack roll. That is great. And then your saving throws are explained here. Uh, so fortitude, how well you can shrug off physical damage. Um, stamina modifier, like we said. Reflex is your ability to uh, you know, minimize damage and attack afflicts on you. Or sorry, uh, your ability to avoid attacks is your, your reflex, you know, your, your dodge. And then willpower is being able to, uh, you know, withstand attacks on your mind essentially, which is very important when it comes to a game like this where uh, fear runs rampant. And you've got what looks like Gunslinger Tom Waits here. I'm all in favor of that. I like me some Tom Waits. And then you have your occupations. So the, the reason I said the occupation table here is bonkers. Uh, it is a D100, but you've got so many different weird things available to you on this chart. You've got, you know, Pinkerton Agent, obviously, it's the West. Puppeteer. Uh, hypnotist. Thespian. Sword Swallower. Uh, somewhere here you have a, you have a weightlifter. There you go. Sideshow Freak, number 15. You are, uh, like, the strongman, essentially. There's a lot of, like, uh, vaudeville uh, freak show characters that, that you can roll up here. Lumberjack, Teamster, Butler. I love that if you're a butler, your weapon's a candlestick. That's hilarious. Dance hall girl, carpetbagger. Ah, carpetbaggers. Snake oil salesman. Auctioneer. With a D2 gavel. <laughs> if I could do any kind of decent auctioneer impression, I would have done one, but that's it's always just me making gibberish sounds. It's never me doing anything skillful in that regard. I, I can't actually be an auctioneer. But you've got your regular stuff. You've got your, you know, your cavalrymen, uh, clergymen, soldier, scout, riverboat pilot. So there's some crazy ones, some regular ones, you know, gunsmith, 
it, it it's a it's a big hodgepodge of different things that you could encounter in the weird, weird west and this is just for zero level this is what you start with essentially and then down here all the guns you're you're given like stats here so if you start with a pistol then you're you have a, a light pistol uh d8 damage you can fire two shots per round six shots uh three rounds to reload and then 10 feet is short range 20 feet is medium range 60 feet is long range rifle breech loading carbine derringer's a derringer and your shotgun's a double barrel muzzle loader Did they make double barrel muzzle loaders? I don't... I suppose they did. I don't know. Who am I to critique that? I'm, I'm sure they did at some point. It's, every time I, I think about uh, double barrel shotguns, I think of breech loaders. But, you know, that's probably just... It's probably just the baggage I'm bringing of, uh, like, you know, Western movies and stuff like that. There's a little box talking about the funnel mindset, and it's basically just, you know, you get through your first adventure, you're, you're going to have multiple characters that you end up going through this funnel with, um, and once you get through that, you get 4 XP, and you get to first level. So whoever makes that alive gets to, you know, essentially be a character. And that's the thing about the funnel that, you know, is is interesting. You you have all of these commoners kind of running through uh, this crazy scenario. You're thrown into the midst of darkness. And, you know, whoever survives gets to be the adventuring party. And, and that's something I really love about these games. Then you have the XP table. Um, just, you know, once you hit these milestones, you level up. At zero level, you're proficient with a single weapon. I was muted that whole time. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> sorry for people listening on audio. I, I've been muting my mic when I take a drink just so you guys don't hear it. And um, I forgot to unmute or I hit the button and it didn't work. So going back a little bit, just so you guys can hear it, um, with the weapon training... You start off with just the one weapon you're trained with, which was on the table up there. And, uh, you know, you, you can find weapons along the way, but, you know, you, it'll just be a D20 roll at that point because you're not really proficient with anything. And then the paths, uh, which is what we were mentioned. So walking the line, this is where everyone starts your, your neutral because you don't really know anything about the supernatural, essentially. Uh, the, the next path is the path of the righteous. So uh, characters walking the line towards that of the righteous often share similar qualities. Folks look to you when times are darkest for inspiration and for a steady gun when a good talking to won't keep the peace. You obey the law if the law serves the best interest of the people it was written for. You're typically a spiritual person that finds words of the good book far more enjoyable than a stiff whiskey. 
you have a hard time resisting the call for help from those less fortunate and try to lead by example so those in the flea-bitten towns you visit understand that the good always trumps evil at the end of the day. So, you come face to face with darkness and you decide to fight against it. That's the righteous. The damned! Unfortunately, characters walking the line towards that of the damned are in no shortage, and their reasons for embracing the crooked road are many and varied. Good intentions often take... Go past some art. I don't want to bury the lead here, but, you know, some of this is cool looking. This is a little odd, but I think it's supposed to be odd. And this down here is just gorgeous. I love that. So, let's see. Good intentions often take a backseat to bad choices, leaving you with a knack for doing questionable things often to good people. You spend your life thirsting for the most for things most folks see as paving the road to damnation. There isn't a law you won't break or a sin you won't commit and assume that there's always a chance you'll be hanging from the bad end of a rope by sundown. And it says, you know, helping innocence isn't entirely out of the question, but you rarely place yourself in danger or go out of your way to do so. Um, so basically, you know, you can still exist within a party, but, you know, it, it's not, you're ultimately going down a bad path. Um, to, to contextualize this in Clayton, uh, when when we started Hellgate, Clayton was very much on the path of the damned. I think he's shifting towards the path of the righteous, but we'll have to see what kind of comes of that. My idea with Clayton, now that he's gotten his revenge, is to, you know, essentially get past it. And, and you know, find a life where he doesn't have to be... Uh, a bad man and so that's what i'm going to be working towards next season but that's not weird frontiers that's deadlands so uh once a character starts their adventures make a note of the path somewhere on the character sheet uh weird frontiers does have official character sheets and it does have a section for the line And at the end of each session, players will bring up some of the best highlights of the game. And this is super interesting. You, you basically go on trial uh, for all the things you did. So, uh, again, to use Clayton McTaggart as an example, in that first session, uh, Clayton shot a dude in cold blood uh, before he pulled his gun. Essentially just for kind of talking big. And for, uh, you know, threatening to do something. Clayton shot him dead. That would probably be a bad action. And I think the, the rest of the party would say, yeah, that's not, that's not something a good guy does. I did put a stop to that situation, but, you know, again, that if we were playing Weird Frontiers, that would have put Clayton more on the path of the damned. As would probably shooting John Wesley Harden, but I don't know. Um, the, the jury's still out on, on the ramifications of that particular, uh, circumstance. But anyway, should the judge agree, uh, the judge is the game master, by the way. 
Uh, you, you can still call the game Master of the Marshal. I recommend that for any Western game, but, you know, the judge. And, you know, should they agree that the character shifted towards one of the paths, they should have the player fill in the next empty box with a pencil. And this is, uh, you know, leading towards the path that you're on. Um, if you don't shift, then you leave everything there. And so depending on the path that you're on, your uh, modifier will apply in, dirt in, in certain situations during social interactions with NPCs. Um, and then, you know, when you reach the end of your path, when you've pretty much gone as far down one road as you possibly can, you circle it and that's where you are. Uh, you get a plus one D bonus, so go up a die on the dice chain uh to you know in circumstances where this applies um and you have to perform one deed during play that serves as a reminder to the character and those around them of the path they've chosen so i'm assuming because you're filling in these boxes with pencil you can go all the way over to the damned and this is how I would do it, too, because, you know, redemption is a, a beautiful thing. Even if you go all the way over to the damned, if your character kind of takes a turn for the better behavior-wise and starts rolling things back, I'd say, you know, move. You, you get to move all the way back and, and maybe even possibly get all the way over to the path of the righteous. That's, you know, any morality system, I think should allow you at certain points unless you get to a like absolute point of no return to to move back and forth as your character you know behaves in certain ways and so the way that this applies um wow thank you ronan cat's messing around in the background there so this bonus applies uh, if you're on the path of the righteous, you get your bonus when you are dealing with common townsfolk or lawmen. Uh, when you're damned, you get your bonus uh, when dealing with criminals, drunks, prostitutes, people like that. Probably cultists as well. And then characters that can successfully keep centered in their attitudes are rewarded by a plus one modifier at first level when dealing with folks of any path. Uh, their progress with this bonus for each level, uh, they can maintain the line, plus two at the next level, plus three at the level after, and plus one die caps the bonus. If at any point they stray from walking the line, they lose this bonus and instead take the bonus from the path they now follow. So if your character's consistently, like, you know, morally neutral... You know, you do some good things, some bad things. You're, you're really kind of a... Uh... Now, Han Solo's a bad example, because he has an attitude, but he actually is kind of a good guy. But if your character's like... Uh... Shit, I don't know. Deathstroke? If you're really mercenary about your behavior, or if you're, you know... 
Right in the middle. If you're like, um, uh, Mac from the Dresden Files. Mac Mac from the Dresden Files gets, gets a 1D bonus to dealing with creatures of both sides. Uh, because he is the middle point. He is true neutral. And for anyone who doesn't know, Mac is the bartender. Uh, he runs a magical pub, and uh, his his territory his bar is accorded neutral ground. So there are a lot of supernatural meetings that happen at Mac and Alley's pub, uh, which sounds like the like greatest microbrewery in all of Chicago. The way that uh, Jim Butcher writes it, I, I would love to visit Mac and Alley's if only it were real. Anyway, that is your alignment system, and now we get into classes. And the classes here, I gotta say, are pretty interesting. Uh, there, there are some interesting classes here. So you make it through the funnel, and something you'll find with every class, every class is a hit die, which gives you hit points. Um, your beefier classes, you're usually dealing with like a d12, it can be as low as a d4, I think. Uh, maybe a d5 is the lowest, but I think it's a d4. Uh, crit die, every, every uh, player in every class will have a specific die that they roll on a specific crit table. And, uh, you know, this will result in... Uh, whatever shenanigans happen because they crit. And then you get to add your luck modifier. Fumble die. If you fail, if you roll a one, you roll your fumble die on the fumble table. And then signature weapons. So first level, uh, you choose two weapons as your signature weapon. So in Again, Clayton's case, his signature weapons were the uh, the Colt Frontier uh, that he used a lot and the shotgun, the Winchester lever-action shotgun. That's what Clayton used uh, throughout the entirety of Hellgate. Those would be his signature weapons. Every... Um, I think it's every odd level you get a new signature weapon. I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Yep, every odd level you add a new signature weapon. So at first level you get two, you get to add a third at third level. Uh, for Clayton, it would be the Bowie knife, which never came out, but, you know, the Bowie knife. The reason you pick a signature weapon is it's used without a penalty. Anything you use other than your signature weapon will have a minus two penalty to both attacks and initiative checks. And the only people who get exotic weapons, which we'll get into, are monks and sin eaters. And sin eaters get it because sin eaters are interesting. But we'll talk about that. If you want to switch your weapons, uh, say you're tired of using six guns and you want to switch to rifles, 
Uh, you announce it before the next game session, and then throughout that entire session, you still use the imposed penalties as you're getting used to the weapon, but by the end, it is your new signature weapon. So, I like this, because what this does is it prevents players from going, oh, we're dealing with enemies who are out, you know, far away from us. Uh, I'm switching out my shotgun for a rifle this time. My character really knows how to use a rifle. And then once that encounter is over and done with, they go, oh, you know, I'm back to shotguns now. It's a, it's a good way to fight that. And then you've got your action die. It's typically a d20. As you go, you know, up in level, uh, you'll add more action die at a certain point. Uh, you've got your paths. Every class kind of has a tendency when it comes to their path. And then your titles. Uh, names and titles are super interesting in DCC and MCC. It's a cool old mechanic from very early D&D. Where 5th uh, level was name level. So you weren't a fighter until 5th level. You were a fighting man, and then you had, like, different degrees of that. Um, I think Thief. Thief had really interesting names because you were, like, a footpad, a rake, a cut purse. I don't remember what they all were, but it, basically it's synonyms for Thief. But, you know, it's interesting. You, you're not fully the thing you have selected until 5th level. It, it's an interesting way to show mastery. Then every class has its special abilities, and then uh, luck modifiers. This is, you know, what, what your luck score can help you with in this particular class. So, starting out, here's a nice little uh, steampunk image for you. For you steampunk fans out there. Bedlamite. Your Bedlamite is your uh, Artemis Gordon, your artificer, your uh, creator of crazy eldritch devices, which is what you prefer as your kind of favored weapon, which it mentions here. Get a D8 hit points, crit dies stays a D6, your fumble dies a D12. Um, and you can use your action die on all rolls involving the use of contraptions, attacks, and all class abilities and skills unless otherwise noted. Um, every time you level up, you roll the percentile, which is 2D10, uh, to determine how deranged you are. <laughs> So basically, you become a quirky mad scientist. Uh, you apply your luck modifier to repair checks, and your path, um, it kind of depends on where you want to go. It recommends walking the line. And then your class abilities, you have the Achilles Stratagem. Uh, you spend one full round observing anything constructed by human hands, and you can innately detect weak points. Uh, so once you figure that out, 
Uh, you increase your damage rolls made against the object by one die type. And your critical range is expanded from 20 to 19 to 20. And a plus one die modifier is added to any critical hit chart roll. You are able to make contraptions. There are two kinds of contraptions. Uh, mundane. And what's the other one called? Wondrous. So mundane contraptions. Um, this is like just regular stuff. Uh, already existing devices. Uh, and, and also... Stuff that's not necessarily magical. Or, you know, improvements to regular devices. It, it lists spring-heeled boots, lockpick gloves, and waterproof lanterns here as examples. Um, so, you look over the blueprint, uh, which is, you know, you just have a conversation with the judge. Determine how complex it is. Factor in time required. And then uh, determine the DC, use the tinkering and repair table, uh, and then you roll a 1d20 plus your intelligence modifier plus level versus the DC plus any additional modifiers as far as uh, complications or things that make it easier. And then you build a device. Now for wondrous contraptions, these are uh, fanciful, fantastical items that only you can use. And so these will... Uh, you only get a certain number of these. You start with three at first level, and then you get a new one at each level. You, you have slots for these things. And Wondrous Contraption examples are on page 178 in the magic section. Or you can, you know, kind of come up with your own between yourself and the judge. But it, it recommends starting with the, uh, the ones listed in the book just to, you know, know the, the parameters here. And every time you use one of these things, you have to make a gear check. Um, you roll 1d20 plus your intelligence modifier plus your level, and then you compare it to the corresponding number on the contraption's result. Or result chart to determine the result of the check. Anytime a gear check results in a natural one, mechanical calamity. So down here you've got the uh, progression chart. So, like I said, at first level, um, you, you get three first level uh, wondrous contraptions and two mundane contraptions, and it goes up by one each level. Then you've got your repair construction table, uh, which you know lists how long roughly it should take. So, let's say you are uh, constructing a... It says weapons here, so you're constructing a Gatling gun. That would be a major basic item, because Gatling guns were pretty common at the end of the Civil War. So you want to build a Gatling gun, um, not repair one. You want to build one. 
So it's going to take you 2d12 hours. Let's roll the d12. 2 and 5. So it's going to take you 7 hours. And it will cost you uh, $21 total. Seems a little cheap for a Gatling gun. But, you know, it's just a rolling on there. I might actually bump that up to like an advanced based on those results. So that'd be for a, like you're building a Winchester rifle. I'd say for that one. But anyway, moving on from there. Got some lovely art here, a little bit of uh, Day of the Dead type stuff for the uh, Calavera. And a Calavera is basically a conduit between this world and the spirit world. Uh, you can see spirits, you can enter the spirit world, uh, you can talk to spirits, and spirits will help you in certain ways. So, uh, D8, hit dice, crit dies a D8, fumble dies a D12, action dies the same, uh, your luck modifier applies to the dead speak interactions with denizens of the spirit world. <clears throat> you typically start off neutral, but, uh, you know, it, it depends on what kind of spirits you're talking to, I guess. And then signature weapons... Uh, you're looking at, you know, like weapons that are given to you by a spirit. So let's say you encounter uh, an undead ghost who kind of looks and talks a little bit like Sam Elliott. And uh, I don't do a good Sam Elliott. <laughs> My voice can't go that deep, unfortunately. And we're talking about the dude here. Doesn't really work. But he was a cavalry officer, and he gifts you his Sharps carbine. Uh, so that's your signature weapon. You know, he, he pulls it up out of the ground, and he's like, here's my, here's my Sharps. Use it as you see fit. So you, you know, pick it up, and that's, that's your weapon. Now, as far as abilities, uh, you've got Bone Dance... Uh, you spend one personality point, so you burn one point temporarily from your personality score. And uh, you basically send out a spiritual distress call to any spirits nearby. They'll animate nearby corpses, and they will come to your aid. And so you spend one personality point... Um, and then you make a spirit craft roll of 1d20 plus your personality modifier plus your level on the bone dance uh, description, which is at the bottom here. It works basically like a spell and your roll will determine the results and you can, you know, spend more points to boost that result like you can with all spells. Mostly luck is, is what you're spending to kind of boost things. And you have dead speak. Um, 
So you can communicate normally with any intelligent being in the spirit world. The language of death is universal. So when you enter the spirit world or if you see spirits walking around, uh, the Cavalera can talk to them or Calavera can talk to them. Then you have Gloom. Gloom allows you to uh, take negative spirit energy and turn it into a weapon. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Yu Yu Hakusho might compare this to Yusuke's spirit gun. In a way, yes, but you know you do actually have to have a gun to to shoot spirit energy at people. And so what you do, and you can do this with melee attacks too. So Kuwabara's spirit sword is uh, is here as well. So bullets leave a trail of crackling azure energy while melee weapons are awash with the same soul-numbing energy. Um, the power increases damage from a melee or missile attack by one die type. And critical hit results gain a plus one per level to the chart roll. Uh, let's see, what does this cost? It does not cost anything. At least as far as I can tell. We'll take a look at the bottom to see what it actually costs. Um, but I don't think it costs anything. Grim Conversation, you pay one point of temporary personality, and you are able to uh, speak with any spirit that's gone uh, into the afterlife. So the spirits that you can talk to normally, they are uh, of the near. But these are spirits, like you can pull someone out of heaven or hell to talk with them. And you, you know, roll your spirit craft roll, adding the same modifiers, and depending on your results, uh, you might be able to pull someone from the afterlife to have a conversation with them. Sidestep, you can spend personality points, like I said, to cross over into the spirit world. And you can bring people with you uh, for additional points. And there's a roll that you have to make with that too. It's the same spirit craft roll compared to the DC. And then Spook Show. Uh, so when an enemy tries to bring harm to you, you can make the same spirit craft roll that we mentioned. And it uses the uh, Spook Show. And so the spirit will uh, temporarily manifest through the Calavera in an attempt to frighten away the target. So if someone's kind of like bowing up on you, you can use Spook Show to basically like, you know, bring in the librarian ghost from Ghostbusters and freak them out. It's really interesting. And then Void Kissed. Uh, Calaveras are just as comfortable within the spirit world as that of the living. Their dual nature gives them innate resistance to attacks made by creatures native to the spirit realm. So you double your normal save bonus against special attacks made by undead or creatures native to the spirit world. That's good because undead are freaky in games like this. 
Name level's fifth level. Uh, that's where you get your second action dice as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> and then Bone Dance. Um, you have the uh, the tables here for what happens as far as backlash, failure, and success. Grim Conversation, same deal here. You've got kind of the spell table. And same with Spook Show. Then you get to, and I don't want to go too far past this art, because you have a Calavera uh, Geisha, it looks like, which is super interesting. And then Gambler. Uh, when I first looked at some of this, I was like, this is definitely Deadlands inspired. It is a little bit, but not as much as I thought it was. Uh, so the Gambler... D8 hit points, D8 crit. Uh, you add luck to all your saving throws, and you get a mojo die. Uh, so the mojo die, it goes up based on your level, and one mojo die is rolled for each point of luck the gambler chooses to spend, thus giving a variable amount of luck for each point burned. Um... So this kind of makes you like a plantian in a lot of ways. Yeah, in fact, you you basically are a plantian. <laughs> if you're a gambler, you're you're a plantian that has some like card abilities cuz you do generate luck, you can give luck to friends um and roll your mojo die. Uh, gamblers regain spent luck points at a rate of two points per level at the beginning of each new day. So, you know, you do regenerate your luck pretty quick. So, yeah, you're you're a card-playing plantian, essentially. And then signature weapons, it says, you know, you know carry something that's easily concealable. So a derringer, bladed weapon, something like that. Uh, so class abilities, you start with Bushwhack. Um, so with this one, uh, target of the attack mustn't be aware of the gambler's bad intentions. So this is when you're attacking someone flat-footed, basically. Uh, you make the attack roll with a mojo die as the attack modifier, and if successful, the attack is automatically considered a critical hit. So this would be uh, shooting first, like Han Solo. Although Greedo kind of saw that coming. This is more... Um, I guess this is more the uh, Doc Holliday, uh, you're a daisy if you do. Although that was during a shootout. But, you know, th this is the, oh, you know, we're, we're just going to be friends. Oops, I shot you. That kind of thing. Or I'm just going to go for my wallet. I have my gun. That that sort of 
circumstance. You attack, you add your mojo die like the deed die for the warrior and dungeon crawl classics, and if you hit, you crit. Then you get Dead Man's Hand. Uh, and this is the thing that made me think of the Huckster. So Dead Man's Hand, um, you charge a normal deck of cards with primal energies, and then you spend one point of luck to charge the cards, and a charge card takes to the air and swarm around the gambler until used or the ability expires. There's a chart for this, and it does involve an actual deck of cards, so we'll go with that. Here's the chart. But no, you, you burn a point of luck each round to keep the cards active, and then on the first round, uh, you flip cards from a newly shuffled deck. So you shuffle the deck, which I will do here. And once your cards are charged, you reshuffle your gun deck. And it's used for the duration of the ability. So, you flip cards from your deck. Um, you have to stop when a face card is flipped, which signals a major effect. So, flip up cards here, and there's a chart that tells you what each card does. Um... First thing I flipped up was a Two of Hearts. Strikes automatically for a mojo die of damage for each card. So that's two through uh, ten. So if I keep pulling cards, nine, seven, five. Let's make sure I show those on camera. Three. Keep going. This is fantastic. Seven. I promise I shuffled this. You guys heard me. Ten. Two. Three. My goodness. I didn't pull an eight, did I? Let me make sure I didn't pull an eight, because eights do something different. Four. Evans to Betsy. I'm glad I'm not playing poker with this deck. Ten. Eight. Here we go. An eight. Ace or eight of any suit is a misfire, because aces and eights are bad. That was the dead man's hand. Which, again, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, when Wild Bill Hickok was killed while playing a game of cards, uh, he had aces and eights in his hand. So that's the dead man's hand. It's considered bad luck. Uh, you suffer 1d8 uh, damage, and you gain a hex token. Hex tokens are bad. When you pull a face card, uh, they each do different things. Uh, so Jack of Hearts, uh, card spins in the air of the gambler's head and spits out 1d4 plus class level balls of fire at one or more target within 50 feet. Each fireball automatically hits, inflicting 2d6 damage. Uh, but, you know, on down the line, every face card does something different. And then the aces... Um, are bad, obviously. But each uh, suit, hearts are fire, clubs are earth, diamonds are wind, and spades are water. 
and then the Jokers. If you pull a Joker, um, whether black or red, drawing a Joker allows the gambler to pick any result they would like, be it another face card or a number card, and you get 1d3 boons. So roll your d3. Two. I would get two of these white boon chips. And so every round you burn luck and you draw as long as you want until you get a face card or an ace or an eight. You also get to do Fateful Favorite at a cost of two points. Um, so you spend two points of luck after a roll is failed and uh, it allows you to immediately re-roll. And in the case where a gambler fails a task that does not involve someone opposing the roll, the re-roll is automatically allowed. However, should the gambler wish to re-roll an attack, action, oppose skill roll, or similar action affecting a foe's fate, the gambler must first overcome the fate of that individual with a contest or contested test of will. So 1d20 plus your willpower save modifier plus your level uh, plus or versus 1d20 plus willpower save from your opponent. And then Shady Dealings, you're proficient with a set of specialized skills uh, that help them deal with games of chance and other less honorable ventures, so cheating, uh, you're able to cheat. And it's uh, D20 plus your agility modifier plus mojo die versus the Mark's D20 plus intelligence modifier. Uh, High tolerance. So your stamina modifier is increased by plus two when determining how many shots or beers it takes to transition from one level of intoxication to the next, which is on page 148 if you want to get drunk. And then you get one or plus one dice in roles related to nonviolent criminal pursuits. So stealth, stealing, safe cracking, uh, I think extortion would be considered violent. Anything like that. Pickpocketing. That kind of stuff. You get plus one die type to try that. The piece of art here. Very hucksterish. And the gunslinger. The gunslinger is super interesting. This is what Clayton would be technically. Uh, you've got... D10 hit points, D10 crit die. Um, and the big thing here is your ghost irons. So going through some of that, we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but you know, dead eye die. Um, you basically get a die that allows you to uh, modify your shot. So when firing multiple shots during a single round, use the dead eye die result rolled on the first shot for all additional shots fired. 
Um, so you add the result to a ranged attack roll, uh, which amplifies your shooting. So that's, again, kind of your, um, your heroic deeds dice, in a way. Eagle Eye, uh, you have good eyesight, preternaturally good eyesight. Uh, gives you uh, an extra 90 feet of long range for pistols and shotguns and 600 feet for rifles. Fan the hammer. Uh, you are better at fanning the hammer. Everyone can do it with a single action weapon. Um, each additional shot after the first shot suffers a cumulative minus one penalty. Um... If using their ghost irons, the original Deadeye die result applies to each shot fired. So fanning the hammer, uh, when you do it as a regular player, and for those of you who don't know, that's in the Western movie when a cowboy pulls back the hammer of the gun and rapid fires with a single-action revolver. Anyone can do it in this game, just like anyone can carry uh, two pistols. The gunslinger's better at it. So when fanning the hammer... As a regular player, you have, like, stacking uh, penalties to your roll. Uh, Gunslingers, it's just a cumulative minus one for every shot after the first one, and you add your Deadeye die. And your Ghost Irons. Uh, You've got two guns, usually pistols, uh, that are possessed by Spirits of Vengeance. So you've got ghost guns. And they allow you to transform uh, normal ammunition into rounds that consist of supernatural energy. Uh, And then your gun deck. Every time you fire a gun, you uh, have to pull a card. So I pulled a 10 that time, which is just a regular turn. Uh, so as the weapon is physical body of the spirit, there's some consideration to take into account uh, when draws are made from the gun deck. So you still misfire if your result is a misfire. Um, the round's inert, and you have to expel the cartridge to clear the jam. Uh, but you can still spend a luck point to ignore the misfire results. Uh, you don't have to draw on the critical fumble table if a gun deck draws results in a critical fumble. Um, treat it as a misfire. And if you have to spend a point of personality to shoot pure ghost rounds, no chance of a misfire is possible. So it gives you a little bit more grace with the gun deck. Uh, lead poisoning, you instinctively aim at the most vulnerable areas on the target... Um, lightning draw let's see gunslingers use the reflex save bonus in place of agility when rolling for initiative so you're you're the fastest gun in the west did I miss something here no not yet spectral leash Uh, you can call your guns back to your hand at any point it's a free action so if for some reason you have to like drop your guns or you know give them to the barkeep, uh, and something pops off, you can 
you know, whistle Dixie or whatever it is that calls your guns back and then they're in your hands. It's free action. It's fantastic. And then you have a trail companion, uh, so you get a familiar... A, a horse, a dog, animal companion, and you share a, a special empathic bond with their companion, uh, teach them a basic trip, a trick at first level... Uh, one at each new level gained, one new trick, and then uh, you get additional hit dice of hit points and a plus one AC bonus uh, as part of their initial training. And then you have trick shots. Uh, so these basically are like called shots whenever gun skills or whatever gun skills the gunslinger had before being uh, chosen as enhanced allowing for called shots that defy all logic uh, so this is putting all six rounds in the O of the word hotel and then you roll your dead eye die along with the standard ranged uh, attack die and the results of the dead eye die count as a ranged attack modifier so this would be using your dead eye die like a deed die So if the result is successful and the dead eye die is a three or higher, so you know, let's say you're trying to hit AC fifteen and your dead eye die is let's say you're level three and you're rolling a D five. Where's my D five? Here you are. So let's say AC fifteen, call the trick shot. So I rolled a four, but I rolled a one. So that would be a failure. Let's say I rolled a 13. So it's a total of 17. And the trick shot would be successful. Coolio. And there's examples of the uh, trick shots down here. And two-fisted, you get a bonus to, uh, you know, dual wielding. You can brandish two pistols and fire each of them during a round of combat. And so your primary hand is a D20, and your offhand's a D16. Uh, let's see, if you are using an additional... or as an additional bonus, if the gunslinger is using a firearm with a rate of fire of more than one, instead of the usual minus one die modifier for each shot past the first, uh, you're only at a minus one modifier for each shot after the first from each gun so if you got a rate of fire three you're looking at a minus one for each shot instead of going from a d20 to a uh, d16 to a d14 on down so some improvements and then you have a list of trick shots here, so you, you know, don't have to necessarily come up with all of them yourself. Great art of someone using a, uh, a mirror to shoot an apple off someone's head. Then you have the Hellbilly. The Hellbilly. This is your, like, evil class, and the Hellbilly has an enchanted jug of hooch that gives them powers. D12 hit points, 
Um, you have a ballad die that improves as your uh, as you level up because you can you know sing your mountain songs as well. You have a luck bonus to mountain lore checks. Typically, you're looking at melee weapons, throwing axes, bows, and rifles. And I love this little bit here. I haven't mentioned starting wealth, but as a hellbilly, you can either start with a D8 uh, dollar amount. So, uh, starting with uh, $6, or you can opt to start with a D30 dollars worth of hooch. So, you're riding around in a wagon containing $26 worth of moonshine. Fantastic. And so your jug magic, um, normal people have to make a DC 13 fortitude check to avoid passing out for a D8 hours. And then uh, if you do pass your save, you automatically go to the smashed level of intoxication. But hellbillies don't get intoxicated from it. And so... Uh, Basically, you drink from your jug, and you get an ability from it. You do get a cumulative intoxication level. Every three uses of a power is one more level of intoxication. Um, smashed is the last level of intoxication, and drinking past this, um, it's you know you're just smashed at that point. So mountain lore, um, you're skilled when you make checks related to folklore, ride the lightning, so uh, with this one, <clears throat> you spend a full round of action drinking your hooch, and immediately, uh, as you are getting drunk... You've got a minus six to uh, social interaction checks, minus two to AC, minus two to reflex saves, plus four to grit checks, and plus two to hit. So you are crazy drunk. And you get bonuses to combat and stuff like that. Your melee attacks do... Uh, one d or you roll a one d twenty four and your your first attack. Second attack's a d twenty. Third attack's d sixteen on down the line. And you have to pass a dc twelve willpower save at the start of your round if you wish to stop your rage. So you're basically a drunk barbarian. Is what this turns you into. Uh, soulful balladeer you uh, have to spend a full round singing and playing the instrument of your choice and then uh, you roll the ballad die and the song chosen you, you've got different uh, results based on that soul soother 
uh, which is a healing doom and gloom. Up to one enemy per level can be chosen as a target of doom and gloom. Chosen targets suffer the result of the ballad dies, a negative modifier to all action die, and then hoedown, uh, where you have to improvise the lyrics. And allies with an earshot of the hellbilly gain result of the ballad die as positive modifiers to all attack action. Uh, so here are the intoxication rules. And then up here you've got your chart as far as the magic jug. Um, different things that you can do. I love that you're essentially a combination of a drunken uh, fist monk, a bard, and a barbarian. The, the hellbilly is thoroughly interesting. Not to be outdone, though, the next class, as you can see here, is the luchador. The luchador is your, uh, your pugilist, your unarmed fighter, uh, d12, hit dice, and you don't use any weapons. Weapons are for cowards. You use your fists, your feet, and holds. You add your luck modifier to reflex saves. Um, one thing I will point out here, and this is just, this is me, the wrestling fan, um, kind of you know wagging my finger at, at david a little bit here um walking the line being a free agent that makes sense um but if you walk the path of the dam if damned if you're a luchador you are not a heel you are a rudo and if you walk the path of righteousness you're a technical gotta use if if we're doing the lucha thing I know it's heel and babyface and regular wrestling, but if we're doing the lucha thing, it's technico for the babyface and rudo for the heel. So, just a point of clarification there. Long as we're uh, going the luchador route here. And your signature weapon is uh, covered under battle-hardened... You can use your lucha die with uh, acrobatics, athletics, and feats of strength. And so uh, 1d8 damage is your, your damage dice for any hand-to-hand -hand attacks after first level, and it increases with experience on the progression chart. Uh, your fame also increases... And that's how many people know who you are. Uh, flare, luchadors feed off the emotions of the crowd. Uh, so you deliver a signature move, uh, that will stir up the crowd, and then you roll the attack along with the lucha die. Uh, success on the attack and on the lucha die, three or higher replenishes 1d3 temporary personality points. So you have to have an audience to do this. <laughs> but you can you can play to the crowd muscle oil oh my god i love this so much muscle oil you have a plus two ac bonus against melee attacks with natural weapons signature move um 
once per round before rolling to attack, you can declare a signature move. Add the result of the Lucha die as a modifier to both attack and damage as normal. Uh, but should the resulting Lucha die roll be a three or higher, the attempted signature move is a success. And you add the uh, effect, there's effects with the examples. And then spirit mask, every luchador is given a spirit mask. So your mask um, gives you powers. Your mask is an artifact. And all of them are listed here. There's various uh, personality points you have to spend to get this effect. Uh, but you can get additional AC. Uh, you can leap higher. You get a battle cry. Strength of the bull. One man army. All these do, you know, various things. And if there's another luchador in the party, uh, you can use tag team. And you can act in tandem. So you can give someone a doomsday device or a heart attack or, you know, pick your... Uh, pick your uh, tag team... Signature move, a shatter machine, a magic killer, uh, you know, just whatever you want to do here. Both players roll their action and the lucha die, take the higher of the two action rolls, and lucha die rolls to determine their joint success. Face damage is uh, plus two die types on a success successful tag team action with both luchador strength modifiers being applied to the attack damage pretty cool and your signature moves are down here uh lucha die so you can do good lucha things eating up the marks i love it shining wizard tope suicida I am upset that there's no Inziguri, but you could basically say a Shining Wizard is an Inziguri and do the same thing. Then you get to the Mountebank. The Mountebank is essentially an alchemist. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of running short on time here. This always seems to be the case. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, kind of breeze past this here. Uh, but the, the Mountebank is your uh, your alchemist type. So you get to make elixirs that do various things. Uh, you add your luck to uh, showmanship rolls. So you're, you're basically a snake oil salesman at this point, but, you know, with magic. And then the monk, Mystic Monk, um... This one, you know, you can use exotic weapons, so you're looking at, like, swords and stuff like that. Um, or nunchucks, bow staff, that kind of stuff. Uh, you can choose two signature weapon slots from the exotic weapons category, then inflict uh, 1d6 damage. Increases with level when unarmed. Or, sorry, when you're unarmed, you do 1d6 damage, which goes up by level when unarmed. Uh, but if you do want to use a firearm, you have to devote two slots to it. 
So keep that in mind. And you get to do cool stuff with your chi. As well as have your martial arts maneuvers, which are similar to the uh, signature moves of the luchador. Then we get to the occultist. And the eagle-eyed among you will recognize that is a likeness of H.P. Lovecraft himself. So that's that's a cool little detail there. That's very clearly H.P. Lovecraft. And I love it. Although with the glasses, he kind of looks like Woodrow Wilson. And that makes me angry for several reasons. But it's that's Lovecraft. And the occultist is basically your wizard type class uh, so this is the one that really gets to uh, cast spells in any true sense like you've got you know you can do the spell burn all that kind of stuff you get a familiar you know you know a certain number of spells per level And you've got a you know familiar chart with uh, personality types. So you could let's let's roll this for fun. It's two d twenty, so you could end up with a start with personality greedy weasel. So I rolled a five and a thirteen. So a greedy weasel. And then each familiar gives uh, certain bonuses to the caster. Oh, look, it's a cat. Then you get into none with a gun. Revelator. This is kind of your cleric type class, your uh, religious caster, if you will. Uh, there's healing involved here. Uh, turn back the night, so kind of like turn back undead, or turn undead. Holy smite. And instead of spells, they're called miracles, is the only, you know, difference here. So you've got miracles that you can cast. Then we get to the Sin Eater. Sin Eaters are immortals from various points in time. So Sin Eaters also get exotic weapons based on the time period they were pulled from. Um, and you have to move towards the path of the righteousness. Basically, uh, you are there to facilitate souls to their final resting place. You're the ferryman. And as part of this, uh, you know, you can give the last rite. You have the Soul Aegis, which is your weapon from the time you were uh, taken from. It's got various bonuses to it as well. And if you are in the spirit world, like yourself, uh, your crit range expands. 
And if you're, like, in the far, like, real into the spirit world, let's say you go to hell for some adventuring, crit range increases to 18 to 20. You also have the ferryman's coin. Uh, you can put it in the mouth of the deceased. And it also... Uh, lets you perform the last rites and do, you know, other things with the, uh, you know, with. Let's see. Um, like with a small boon and you can give it to people. Or they can use it to heal. You can also sidestep. And you have soul sense. Uh, which allows you to uh, see objects or sense objects and denizens of the near. And you can do a few other things, but that's basically the Sin Eater. You're like a weird paladin, a time-traveling immortal paladin. And you've got specific powers down here that have the same, uh, you know, spell tables and things like that. And then the last one we get to is the Tommyknocker. Um, this is, you know, the version of the Harrowed in this game. You are an undead uh, being. And you have a lot of powers that are associated with being undead. So you came back from the dead, and then you have dark inheritances, which are, you know, powers that you can use based on your kinfolk. Some cool art here, kind of looks like Jonah Hex a little bit. And then rules, uh, we've gone over this with, uh, you know, DCC. Here's Miskatonic Kid again, Cowboy Thulu, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, th this is all the same as DCC or MCC. Uh, if you're really curious about this, I will tell you to check out the DCC video. It's a beginner's guide to Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, it's, you know, if you're familiar with D&D, you're familiar with this. It's a, you know, a D20 roll trying to hit the AC or the DC. And then uh, the only real thing here is uh, skills. Um, trained skills, you use a d20 plus your ability modifier. Untrained skills, you use a d10 plus your ability modifier. Uh, so skills aren't really in DCC. This is an addition kind of like just for this uh, game. And other than that, let's see. Anything else down here? Actions, you get to take as many actions as you have action die. So, you know, as you level up, you get more and more action die. Usually around 5th level, you get a d14 in addition to a d20. And certain classes, like the gunslinger, you've got two guns. Uh, you can roll a d20 and a d16 for both your attacks.
So yeah, magic, uh, just to take a quick look here. There's the lore around where magic is coming from, Nyarlathotep, all that stuff, the Seven Days of Night. Uh, for the most part, it's, you know, same thing as DCC. You're rolling the arcane check, uh, modified by your uh, your associated ability. You can spend a luck point to increase uh, the results of the arcane check, and you can also do spell burn if you are an arcanist, which is where you uh, temporarily burn a physical stat to boost a spell. And the results will determine, you know, what spells you're casting. There's also corruption, which if you, uh, you know, if you botch a spell each time a miscast occurs, um, you might have to roll on the corruption table. There's a minor, a major, and a greater. Let's see if those are here. And I will show them to you. Let's see. Miracles. Formulae. Spell charts. Maybe it's in the appendix. Let's... Sorry. Charts. Nope, not seeing anything here. Um, it's in here somewhere. If we had more time, I would go looking for it. And then we've got the uh, the bestiary. The bestiary you can you can use your DCC and MCC creatures. Um, but then, of course, there are mythos creatures. Which is if you want to use something Chthonian. And then, you know, rumors. And then you've got your monsters. Wonder what all is in here. Like if I go to S. Sasquatch. I can find like a Shagoth. Shagoth, here we go. C. I wonder did he do it? Did he stat Cthulhu? These are all, you know, cactus monsters. Sorry, I just gotta know. It's one of those, it's a, it's a weird thing, satting Cthulhu. Chupacabra, that is essential for Weird West games. Cold Devil. Cold Ones. You can crack these with the boys. 
The Color Out of Space. There's one. Crawling Claws. I can probably just expand this here and see. Okay, no, there's no Cthulhu. There's also no Azathoth. So some of the, like, elder, actual elder gods are not statted. Just so you know. So, you know, the bestiary, that's what we've got. Um, adventures, if we look here, you have an adventure here called Death Crawls West. And let's see what else we have. You also have Lost Souls Canyon. So Death Crawls West, I believe, is a funnel. Yeah, this is the funnel adventure. And then you have Lost Souls Canyon, which is for six to eight first level PCs. So you can go straight into a first level game if you want. Then you've got, uh, you know, your appendices, your charts. Uh, like we go down to weapons, ranged weapons. You have all kinds of different options here weapons explanations advanced firearms explanations of different kinds of rifles sharps rifle winchester 1866 and 1873 uh let's see revolvers Demis revolvers Ranged weapons. Come on. Yeah, Derringers, rifles and carbines. This is just, you know, me being a dork at this point, looking at weapons. Because that's something I always find uh, interesting. So you got your shotguns. Here we go, pistols. Muzzle loading, cap and ball, 1860 Army, 1851 Navy, the the Walker, on down the line. Then you have your cartridge pistols, your Frontier, your uh, House Revolver, Peacemaker, yada yada, and what have you. Then you have your character sheets. These are all pretty nice looking. I like it. And then some convention photos. People having fun playing this game, which you gotta love. I better recognize some of these people. There might even be some people on here who have been on my show. If I had more time, I would scrutinize these photos and tell you for sure. Anyway, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode. We've gone a little bit long, uh, but I really just kind of wanted to get into all this and show you guys what uh, the Weird West had to offer. Uh, so, guys, thank you so much for sticking with me tonight. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope this has inspired you to uh, you know check out this game because it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to having uh, David on the show to discuss this game. Uh, so next week we'll be back with Cheyenne Wright. Uh, he'll be on the show. 
talking a little bit about Hellgate and a little bit about some other things. That'll be a lot of fun to see. Uh, so until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving.